Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may this place be cursed as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to guide it with that same and high and lifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. You may be seated. Allow us, allow me to once again remind you and ask for our, our, from our Apostle for us to be able to understand those events and that importance of that time in which we live in which occurs which is occurring right now in real time, the affirmation of a covenant and the affirmation of a covenant, as Pastor had said, it always refers to the affirmation of those true of that truth and that salvation and that righteousness that we have already received and that we already have in Christ Jesus. And if we do not affirm our righteousness, nor our salvation, nor those truths in which we have heard from our Apostle, then the Lord will not be able to reveal for us those great blessings which He has prepared for us. Therefore, we today, through our dwelling in that word which we have already heard from our Apostle, let us affirm, let us affirm this promise in our spirit, but also affirm it for our soul, and of course, as a final result, let us affirm it for our body. And so, the book of the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness. And the topic that has been given to us from this place of scripture is the right to set aside our former way of life in order to clothe our bodies into a new way of life and for the fulfillment of this commandment written by Apostle Paul and presented to us in this series of sermons of Apostle Arkady there are three faithful and three faithful commands and fundamental actions this is to set aside to renew and to clothe and from the fulfillment of these three fundamental truths will depend whether or not we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, 
will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a seed which yields the deposit of our justification in the salvation that has been gifted to us which in these three actions is necessary to place into circulation in the death of the Lord Jesus to receive it as a property in the format of the fruit of righteousness we place it into circulation in the death of the Lord so that we can receive it as a property in the format of the fruit of righteousness and if I don't do this then we will lose justification that is given to us in the format of a deposit forever and therefore these three faithful foundational verbs to set aside to renew and to clothe will allow us to fulfill the commandment of God and the commandment of God notes that we ought to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect or rather to coincide with his divine characteristics and with regard to this we have stopped to study the 17th Psalm of David which opens the contents of a just prayer in the eight names of God Most High. This will be for us in the 18th Psalm. And as we know, acknowledgement and proclamation of the powers contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God had allowed David to love God and offer him praise so that he could be saved from his enemies. And for God, knowledge and proclamation of the truths uncovering the powers of his name, or rather uh, the eight names of God, had allowed God to use these capabilities in battle against the enemies of David. So God will not be able to use the powers of his names, uh, these are his names that we are studying, and until we are able to manifest our love to God and to call him in these names, pay attention here, all of these names which we are going to study today and go over today, we need to love these names and we also need to love the person who has these characteristics and call this person to help us and when we will love this person in these names and to love this person is necessary for us to study this person and his characteristics sometimes people say I love God and when you say well what kind of characteristics does your God have well he's all all omnipresent all-knowing all-seeing but when you begin to speak with a person well how is all of this might revealed in and what names is he revealed in then here a person is limited his vocabulary is limited and he is unable to talk about his beloved anymore what does this tell us this tells us that we have to love the Lord and to love the Lord this means to call him and to call him means to find out about our beloved we must know we must be we must be able to characterize him and then when the Lord sees our love and that we have the ability to call upon him in prayer he will use the powers of all of these divine names and so Psalms 18 verses 1 through 4 I will love you O Lord my strength the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God my rock and whom I will trust my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so shall I be saved from my enemies let us all together proclaim these eight names and we will call upon the Lord the Lord you are my strength Lord you are my rock Lord you are my fortress Lord you are my deliverer Lord you are the rock in whom I will trust Lord you are my shield Lord you are the horn of my salvation Lord you are my stronghold 
May the Lord hear these words and may He perpetuate them in our heart. And may He make us firm and immovable in hope. And so in a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined in our prayer services our lot or our portion in the powers and promises contained in the strength of the name of God Most High. And so we will turn to study our portion in the powers contained in the name of God Most High Rock, which according to its components and properties of unearthly firmness inherent to the nature of our Heavenly Father is beyond comprehension to the abilities of man. So firmness, the firmness that we are studying here, it is impossible to understand with our intellect. And of course our vocabulary treasury will not be able to highlight or define, Lord, you are my rock and what this means. Apostle reminds us that this kind of prayer in which David proclaims his portion in the names of God Most High is the strategic teaching that is meant to be a mantle for a king, a priest, and prophets who are anointed to reign over their bodies, which is their calling. So here the Lord tells us or talks about how all the names can be called upon if we are anointed to reign. If we have the anointing of a king, priest, and prophet, then we will be able to collaborate with all of these eight names of God. And why do we collaborate with them through this anointing? We collaborate with them so that we can, a person is anointed before God, a person anointed before God is someone who is legitimate and lawful. He is a lawful authority who has been given this authority by God. So our calling is to adopt our bodies, and this is impossible unless we have this lawful opportunity or authority to do so. Because in the physical world, of course, we might have a lawless authority and overthrow a, a lawful one. And this happens today in the world, and this comes as a harvest for people. But we must understand that in the spirit and in our essence, the unlawful authority will not be able to overthrow a lawful authority. The law of sin and death is a lawful authority. This is our father, Adam, who had given us the right to be the servants of sin. And this is a lawful authority. Death has a full right to us. We grow old, we, we die, we grow sick. And God can't do anything with this. Our enemy has a lawful authority to our bodies. He has a lawful authority to our soul, our mortal soul, and our decaying body. The only thing he does not have authority is our David, our spirit that has been born of God, who has been anointed by God. And now, in a short time, our spirits, through our time, and the time is very little, you blink, you have a gray hair, you blink, and the person is no longer here. We live very, very shortly here on earth. Very, very shortly. It goes by as thunder. And in the short amount of time, it is necessary for us to receive anointing and to spread this anointing from our spirit unto our soul and unto our perishable body. So that through a lawful way, through the proclamation, we could allow God to reign life and res resurrection to reign it in our body and to overthrow the other lawful authority which will stop being lawful after we affirm after grace reigns through righteousness 
And when grace reigns through righteousness, or when we are able to show the fruits of the tree of life, then this means that now you are a lawful authority. You are a lawful authority to your body and to your soul. But for this, it is necessary to grow our body, or rather to grow the tree of life so that it can place its branches and spread them onto our body. Without this, it's it's impossible to overcome our body. It is necessary to be a lawful authority. And for this, it is necessary to leave infancy. A person that is found in a carnal state, an infant state, is a person that does not have anointing in order to be able to be able to tell the power of death to get out of the body, to be cast away, and so that in its place the power of life and resurrection could reign. Infants don't have this, and carnal people don't have this. These must be left. And so if a person is not anointed to rule over his calling, and this kind of a person is a person who is an infant and a carnal Christian, if he is not anointed to rule in the dignity of his earthly body, then this prayer is not for him. And this prayer of David will not bring him any benefit. Therefore, the property of the term firmness, which we will talk about, has no relation to its definition using our own words. It can be defined only through God's words, from the Word of God. What is firmness? The firmness, the rock of God. Because this firmness is a definition and specificity that belongs solely to the property and nature of God. That's why when we talk about firmness, we talk about the properties and the nature of God. We can look at a soft subject and say, oh, it's soft. We look at something hard. We feel it. Oh, this is hard. This is firm. As we say, God looks at Job and says, he is very firm. He looks at the leprous, his leprous flesh, and he says, he is very firm. His flesh is very firm. Why? Because Job had said, but I know that my Redeemer lives. I feel Him. I know Him. I know. Rather, he said, not I feel, but I know my Redeemer lives. And I will see my resurrection. And I will see God. I will see God in my flesh. What will you see? I will see the glory of God in my body. Not the eyes of another. He said, my eyes will see God, God Yahweh, in my body. And he saw when the Lord had reigned the resurrection of Christ in his body. Therefore, we also, if we collaborate with the name of God, firmness, or rather rock, how do we collaborate? Just like Job had placed God in his body, he said, in my decaying body, I will see God. How? God, his firmness, he hid in his word, the word we accept in the format of firmness in our heart, and then we renew our thinking with it, and then we begin to proclaim it with our meek lips, and we place the characteristics of God through the proclamation of the words into our body. He says, I believe, or I know that my Redeemer lives. He placed the name of God firmness, or the name of God rock, in his body. A devil couldn't destroy him. He couldn't understand. How can a person in this kind of leprosy, after which he will die very quickly, how can he live for years? How? How is this possible? He placed the firmness of the Word of God, or rather the character of God firmness, through the proclamation of the Word of God. And he said, I will see in my decaying flesh, I will see God himself. Just like we, we ought to see God, of course, in the format of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies. In Scripture, the definition of firmness in relation to the natural property of God Most High is painted in such shades as 
firm is resistant, strong, healthy, wise, experienced, rooted, firmly established, unshakable, permanent, inexhaustible, long, fearless, impenetrable, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Here is the definition of firm, and the word rock in relation to the name of God Most High and His firmness finds itself in scripture and definitions such as rock is, as, as a name, is stone, rock, heaviness, weight, and scales. This refers to a certain weight by which one can judge the price and dignity of the person or object that is being weighed. So the Lord, through His name, Rock, Firmness, He begins to test us. And now we're interested, right? Now we're interested to say, Lord, You are my rock, so that this rock could also be made our proclamation and our characteristics. Because He takes scales and He places this firmness in the format of His rock, His chief cornerstone on one side, and then He places us on the other side of the scale. Christ, our rock, and us. And he says, oh, how beautiful, what balance there is here. Why? Because a person has this rock, and he placed this rock in his heart, and with this rock he begins to proclaim it and place it in all spheres of his essence. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 15. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. This is referring to God who is going to weigh us. You will say, my God, this person weighs mountain and he's going to measure and weigh me. Yes, he is going to measure us. He who measured the mountains is going to measure and weigh each of us. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him? and taught him in the path of just path of justice who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding behold the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as a small dust on the scales look he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing thus in the powers of the name of god rock is hidden the ability of the most high to judge or weigh on the scales of his justice every creature he made to give retribution to everyone according to its weight So, the Lord is going to weigh us on the scales of His justice, on the foundation of His word, His commandments, each of us will be weighed, and our future is going to depend on our weight, how correctly we collaborate with the name of God, firmness. Daniel chapter 5, verses 24 through 28, it is written about the person who who began to measure, the king was measured, and the harvest had come, and this king had ended his life very sorrowfully. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufersin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Why? Why did he finish it? Because Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found very wanting or very light. What then? Paris, which means your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. 
Based on this definition, to be clothed in the powers of the rock of the Lord is to be clothed in the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom coming from above, giving us the ability to judge, or rather to weigh on the scales of justice. The scales of justice, both ourselves as well as those who are found under our responsibility. Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 13 through 16. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, and your days may be lengthened in the land that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And then the next says For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously are an abomination to the Lord your God. An abomination, this is a very strong word. When we look at abominations, we think that's this is abominable, and we turn away. We don't even want to look at it. We say, ew. Same thing as God that God does when he looks at a, a person who has differing scales in his heart. For abominable an abomination to the Lord your God is all who behave unrighteously. We need to have correct scales so if a person we like him and if if we we say towards him two plus two is five and four minus two is three we come into the house the court of the state and there is a woman statue that is standing with her eyes covered and a sword in her hand and she is measuring. She doesn't care who is standing before her enemy or her son or her friend, but she is ready to judge on the basis of that which she which she must. And so we also must not have differing weights and scales. You will say, well, how do we show love towards our neighbor? Love towards our neighbor is when a sword is cast. The husband, as a responsible one, he stands under the sword and he perishes. That's it. This is the whole secret. As Pastor always says during marital uh, ceremonies, a husband is one who takes responsibility. Sometimes you ask a young person, are you ready to die for her? Well, I didn't even think about this. He says, well, you should think about it. Go and think about it. As Christ had died for the church, well, I love her like Christ. Well, are you ready then to die for your, for your beloved whom you love? I am ready. Oh, good. Scales or the measuring bowls of the Most High in the name of God Rock is the absolute authority and ability of the Most High to judge and weigh the creation made by Him, so that each one weighed on the scales of righteousness receives his retribution in correlation to his weight. The weights of the Most High are commandments and statutes of the Most High, on the foundation of which He judges the creation made by Him on the measuring bowls of righteousness. Take a look at where the rock is. It is found in the commandments and statutes. And God has full and full authority to measure through these statutes because these statutes and commandments have come from His heart. And He weighs a person. And therefore, 
To have the authority of the Most High contained in His name, Rock, is to have the authority to judge both ourselves and those who are under our responsibility within the boundaries of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Or, to weigh both our words and actions on the scales of justice of the Most High and the words and actions of people who are under our responsibility. And to learn and put on unearthly firmness contained in the name of God Most High, which satisfies our hunger and thirst and brings us to power over our vocation, we will need to consider four classic questions. The first one is, what is the essence of firmness enclosed in the powers of the rock of the name of God Most High? Second, what purpose in our prayers is the property of firmness called to fulfill, which is clothed in the powers of the rock of the name of God Most High? Third, what price is necessary to pay in order to be clothed in the property of firmness that is contained in the firmness of the name of God Most High? And fourth, by which results should we judge that we truly have the dignity of firmness contained in the powers of the rock of the name of God Most High? All of the names of God Most High are dissolved in one another, find their expression in one another, strengthen one another, and identify the authenticity of one another. In this prayer of David, the eight names of God Most High are presented in a kind of order in which each of the names is the expression of the previous name, or rather discovers itself in the previous name. In a certain format, we have remembered what firmness is, according to its essence in the powers of the name of God Most High Rock and three of His dignities. This dignity of firmness is one of the names inherent to the name of God as one of His properties and characteristics. So here, Pastor looks at seven characteristics, definitions of firmness. And we, in our last service together, had gone over three components of firmness that the Father had, that the Son had, and that the Holy Spirit had. The Holy Spirit can't show firmness. He is Spirit. He needs to show the firmness of the Word. And He, as Spirit, fills the Word, and the anointed Word, He through the anointed Word, He shows us firmness. The first dignity, we talked about how we need to see firmness in the face of our Heavenly Father. Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed be your name. He has firmness. And Pastor had presented to us the Psalm of David where he says, I have found David, my servant, and I have anointed him with holy oil. And furthermore, he says that he is going to, David is going to turn to God. Lord, you are the rock of my salvation. Who has the right to turn to God and say, Rock of my salvation, Lord? Only those saints of whom the holy of whom the of whom the father can say i have found you my servant and anointed you with holy oil pastor had shown that god calls and considers a person whom he has found the person that is his servant not just the one who has been born again i believe that the lord is is jesus is my savior this is good this is good that you believe but scripture says that this faith must express itself in something specific there must be a specific concreteness and this needs to be expressed in the fact that the heavenly father must affirm us and give us affirmation that he has found us in him as a belonging and how is this verified in a person that has been born again when he says 
You are my servant and servant, meaning you have given the members of your body not into servants of sin, but servants of righteousness. Therefore, when we make the decision, the, volunt- the rational decision to give our members into servants of righteousness, the Father says, I have found my servants who has given his members not into servants of slavery, but servants of righteousness. And a person who is justified begins to practice works of righteousness. And the Heavenly Father rejoices. He says, this person is my rock. I have found my servant, David, and with holy oil I have anointed him. What is anointed with holy oil? Meaning I have affirmed him in salvation and I have given him the right and the legitimate power to reign the resurrection of Christ in his body. Take a look at the path that is necessary in order for God to anoint us for our calling, to affirm the power of life in our body. He needs to find us. And when does he find us? When we are servants, when we have given the members of our body not into servants of of lawlessness, but servants of righteousness. Then the Father will be for us a rock, The second dignity of firmness is one of the names of the Son of God as well as His properties that are inherent to the properties of God. And here, Pastor had shown that He lays a Zion as a foundation, a strong foundation, a sure foundation. And this strong foundation is, of course, Christ. Now, how can we define, do we have this firmness or do we collaborate with the Son of God in the format of his firmness it is necessary for us to look at our zion and do we have a sure foundation there pastor says to define if we have a sure foundation that is sure is possible through the presence of faith because a foundation or a rock is is that is a foundation it is the foundation of our faith do we have the faith of god in our heart and before we stand before the judgment of christ it would not be bad for us today to take the f- Word of God before us in the format of the preached Word and to do this right now and to verify ourselves. And Pastor had offered to us four tests, to do four test exams through which we can verify so that then later on we could not grow ashamed when everyone stands before Jesus Christ on, in the judgment. And the first thing that Christ will say, the first thing that He will say is that my faith of God can be accepted only by the order of God only through the order of God. Not just when a person calls him. Scripture says, well, how do we call the one in whom you have not believed? How do we believe in whom, in him whom we have not heard? And how can we hear without a preacher? And how can you preach if you have not been sent by God through the church? How? And Pastor had shown that to collaborate with the name Jesus Christ in his judgment right now, right now we have the judgment of Christ when we say, Lord, I have accepted your word and have affirmed it, affirmed you as a foundation through that preached word of your messenger whom you have sent in my life. And we give our first test, but not just you. All surrounding churches said, well, we also had this test. We voted for this person. And second, this is my friend. We have voted for him. I know him from childhood. He's a good man. He's a good man. We have chosen him as a pastor. He knows math very well. He reads very well. He knows Russian very well. He says poems very well. Okay, good. Then let's go to exam number two. What is your poet preaching about? Scripture says, that a messenger of God is defined by the fact that he shows us the inheritance of God that is found in heaven. 
that the promise of God is found in heaven and is ready to be revealed in the end days for those who have kept them kept themselves in the faith you will say yes he is he preaches that this is found in heaven and that our perishable treasures is a temporary and it is not that argument or that with which we define our spiritual level okay exam number three does this person preach the gospel of the kingdom okay this is curious if he preaches we will all run away from the church we told him that we drink alcohol so don't preach about alcohol don't teach about uh, fishing or lust or hunting don't touch any of these things and those other things that have been legalized in churches please don't 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 touch don't preach about them as a chosen figure he is told as we know pastor has has told us these instances these pastors are told what they can preach about and what they can't and they didn't pass the third test because Christ defines defines this in judgment as the fact that he preaches the kingdom salvation is not preached separately from the kingdom and as soon as a person who is a poet as soon as he separates salvation from the kingdom and he puts the kingdom away because we will automatically lose all of our friends he loses his mother's father's all his friends his brother's sister he loses everyone well then how can he lose them he they have been selected He's been selected by these very people, and therefore they don't do this. Jesus preached about the gospel of the kingdom, and that's why he lost his followers very easily. Why? Because he preached about the gospel of the kingdom. He preached salvation in the kingdom, and he never preached it apart from it. And of course, if we have passed this exam where we're joyful, then the fourth one, God defines how we act toward one another. Are we bitter towards one another? Do we have pain against one another? A heart which has this pain, or rather bitterness, is a heart that is not prepared for growing the tree of life. And all of this must be uprooted. And through this we define the dignity of the name of God, Jesus Christ, and the dignity of the firmness of His name. The third dignity of firmness is the Word of God that comes from the mouth of God as well as the Holy Spirit, who is the inspirator and fulfiller of this word in the mouth of his prophets. So here the word of God and the Holy Spirit, these two great witnesses that stand before the God of all the earth, the word of God, the Holy Spirit, this is firmness. And we must place this firmness in the format of a remethumim, the word of God and the Holy Spirit, who uncovers the significance or the meaning of this word. And pastor had shown us where in the book of Revelation these two witnesses, they are the two olive lamps, olive trees, they are the two lamps that were given to wings of a large eagle, and he had shown how we should collaborate with the truth of God in order to affirm God as our firmness. And he had showed us the 24 elders and four living creatures, uh, the male child, he had shown us the woman that represents the 144,000, as well as the seed from the woman they these are the multitude that and all of these three categories have a spirit soul and body and when we take all of these three categories spirit soul and body and when we look at what is happening in their spirit soul and body in certain events you can through this define what kind of category what will be at the door of hope with the male child 
the category of the male child at the door of hope before the revelation that is written in the week of Daniel right before this week in the bodies of saints of those that are the male child or the 24 elders and four living creatures they are going to affirm in their spirit and in their soul the resurrection of Christ and Satan knows he knows that he has limited months limited weeks limited days in order to kick himself there he doesn't want to give up the body just like that and he in his great anger holds this body in order to not give it up but the Lord upon the revelation of this week will clothe the bodies of saints in the resurrection of Christ and then the other category the category of the woman when saints are going to be raptured in the middle of the week they are going to give this woman two wings of a large eagle and they were going to be clothed in this power and they are going to be found in this power of the resurrection of Christ but they are going to need to undergo the years um, they're going to have to endure several years and those the seed of the woman for them it's gonna be very difficult because during these difficult years the Gentiles are going to torment them in the face of the old man and on the outside it is going to be very difficult for them they are going to be physically killed why well they did not want to collaborate in with God in his time that's why not one person will be able to bypass this not one person who has prepared himself to eternal life will not be able to we need to endure not when the Antichrist comes but right now right before the revelation of the week of Daniel right now we need to endure it and right now before the revelation of this week we must condemn the Antichrist in the face of the old man and his power of death we must condemn him into the underworld if this does not happen these people Christians are need to go one-on-one with historical events but we must be ahead of these historical events and right now before the beginning of this week and all of that which was in the middle and the end we must endure right now and there's very little time left and the fourth dignity which we are going to talk about and we will cover others as well fourth the dignity of firmness is an eternal covenant okay in an eternal covenant is firmness which God made with us in Christ Jesus in his death in the face of David second Samuel chapter 23 verse 5 although my house is not so with God yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure for this is all my salvation and all my desire will he not make it increase under the image of King David we should examine the dignity of a king priest and prophet in the face of our new man in Christ Jesus who came to the full measure of the stature of Christ who has the ability to rule over his body and over his soul in the boundaries of a firm and irrefutable covenant or an eternal covenant an eternal covenant is an, an irrefutable and immutable covenant the property of a firm covenant in the word secure means that this covenant is necessary or one that in no circumstances can be violated or changed when a person makes a covenant with God in the death of the Lord Jesus 
or in baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, he dies to his nation, the house of his father, and to his corrupt desires, which gives God the basis to adopt our bodies through adoption in order to fulfill his will that is contained in his covenant with man. So, this covenant is found where? It is found in death and baptism in the death of the Lord Jesus. It is impossible to have an eternal covenant without death, without baptism. In baptism, we die to our nation, the house of our Father, and to our corrupt desires. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope and set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. Two immutable things are the blood of the covenant and broken body of the Lord Jesus and the dignity of twelve breads that satisfy the hunger and thirst of God, and these two are brought into the veil of the sanctuary in our spirit that has been born from the preached word of truth. So these two mutable things are the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus that were brought into the sanctuary. A covenant that is eternal, firm, immutable, secure in Scripture is found in three definitive pers- uh, purposes, such as in a covenant of blood, a covenant of salt, a covenant of rest. The essence of a tripartite covenant with God and man cannot be legitimate without one another. So we can't say, Lord, give me the covenant of blood, but I'm not interested in the covenant of salt because it's necessary to demonstrate the covenant of salt and in the covenant of rest. Give me blood. No, only both of them together can work together with one another because they pursue one goal and fulfill different purposes in achieving one goal that is established by God. This is like Esther, for example. She came and she said, If I have found favor in your eyes, and if it is acceptable to you, if I have found favor, and if it is acceptable to you, here we see the good and the acceptable will. And this is possible only when a person has a covenant of blood, salt, and rest that he has made. Hosea 13, 14 I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. This unique prophecy relates to the body of a person in which God took the responsibility upon himself so that in the dimension of time, the power of death could be destroyed in our body in the face of the old man with his works and in its place be built the power of the spirit of life. 1 Corinthians 15, 53-57 For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is given to someone who has an eternal covenant that is 
immutable, and this is a covenant of blood, salt, and rest that is made in three baptisms, through which we enter and we come into three wills of God, having fulfilled them. This is a covenant that is firm and immutable. If a person does not have all of these covenants, then he can't say that his covenant is immutable and secure and not eternal. An eternal covenant refers to all three. Baptism, not just water, which we make, but also after him, after this we have Holy Spirit and fire. Baptism of fire, which many fear because they don't understand. They don't understand the necessity of it. But all of these covenants can be made in Christ Jesus and must be made in order for us to have firmness of the covenant, an eternal covenant. This was the fourth dignity. Let's read the fifth one. The fifth dignity of firmness. Again, we are defining firmness. We saw it in God the Father, in God the Son, in the Holy Spirit who uncovers himself in his word. We saw it in an eternal covenant fourth. And now the dignity of firmness in the fifth component is the church itself of the living God yielded as the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I am delayed, I write that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So the church is the affirmation of truth. The church must have this firmness. Organized partaking to the house of God is verified by our dwelling in the order of God, which yields the order of the kingdom of heaven in the house of God, in the dignity of the magnificent theocracy of God, or as Pastor says, we ought not to have a disgusting democracy. It is in the dignity of magnificent theocracy of God that finds its expression in the functions of the order of the human body, which is an image of the body of Christ. So as we in our body, as a person has order in his body, and we should not say, Lord, show the order that must be present in the body. The Lord says, look at the church. I preach or I look at the creation. Preachers try to speak poets, but he says, look at my creation. Look in the mirror. How many heads do you have? Two. Okay. And if you were to have two, three. Lord, I have one head. Okay, well, this is good. One head and not two. That's why we must understand how important it is what we see in the creation of God. One head means one head. But take a look. I have two hands, two legs, but one head. Pastor might have many helpers, and there's five fingers on each hand. We'll pay attention. But all of this which moves, why does it move? Look, right now my right hand is going to move. Why? Now my left hand. Why? What is this computer? Right here. Right here is the computer. Let's read about the church. That must guide us. What kind of church is this? Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest in the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an error. 
And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, so that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they do not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this. Yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So here for us is made a revelation of God about the church and those from whom this church is made of, those that tremble before his word. This is the church, the holy church, the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord has said that if we are found in this kind of church, then in this church the Lord will be able to shake. And he says he will shake not just the earth, but also he will shake heaven. And this is a very important promise that the shaking in our body must be at such a point that this shaking must shake heaven. He says, I will shake not just the earth, but through the earth I will shake heaven. Imagine how much we must place the promise of God, this firmness in our body, so that through the body we could begin to shake the heavens and to cast down the demons from there. You remember if 2018 Apostle Arkady had preached about the sixth seal, the sixth seal seal that was taken off and when it was taken off, what had happened? There was a great earthquake and there was a great earthquake as it is written. In this earthquake that a person must endure who has an organized partaking to Jerusalem. So our body must endure certain shaking, trembling. And when this shaking happens, then our sun will become black, will become like the black wool of either a camel or a goat. So the sun is going to turn to a black black wool. It is clothing. This clothing was put on upon fasting before God that was inconvenient for the body. And scripture says that when the sun is clothed in this kind of cloth, in this kind of brokenness, only after that the moon will become like blood. When our spirit is going to be broken, after this our moon, our soul will be like blood. What will this mean? This is that plague that had Moses had caused when he stretched out his staff and the Lord said, well, stretch out your staff over the waters of Egypt. And he stretched it out and all of the waters were made blood and it became abominable to the Egyptians. When did this happen? After the sun grew dark like this cloth, when it was clothed in this brokenness, this had allowed the soul at the same time, our moon, to become like blood for Egypt. And after this, 
the stars of the heaven that are found under heaven, it said that they fell on the earth as a fig tree, as figs. That is, that drops its unmatured figs. It turns out we can't cast out these stars from under heaven in our essence until until the earth begins to shake through proclamation. And when this happens, each time pastor comes out and says to us, let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies, and we say, Amen, what happens? We begin to shake our earth, and the heaven is clothed in humility. It is clothed into this cloth. The moon becomes like blood, and the Egypts then Egyptians then have no room there. And what happens? The stars of the heaven from our heavens begin to fall on the earth. And then the next event, Pastor says that our heaven is going to hide, or rather, as a scroll, to be turned as a scroll, the heaven to be turned as a scroll. This was usually done when a divorce letter was issued to the old man. And he says, take a look at what has to happen, this whole process taking off the power of death and being clothed into the power of resurrection. The old man will not just give up our body just like that. It is necessary for him to take our our heaven is called to take and pass it along a divorce letter in a scroll. And this for him is a catastrophe. For this to happen, it is necessary for us to do something. On this heaven, the stars must fall, the demonic ones that are found under heaven. That they fall, the stars right under heaven. Pastor wrote very beautifully on the 18th, it was a Friday service in 2018. It's necessary for the moon to be covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus. And for this, it is necessary for the spirit to become broken. And before this, it is necessary for a great trembling earthquake to happen through the proclamation of the promise for our bodies. And this is the dignity of firmness that the Church of the Living God has in those saints that are found in it. Only they can produce these events in their essence. Six, the dignity of firmness is the path of the Lord that is meant for the blameless. The path along which we walk, or the way along which we have walk, also has firmness. We saw our firmness in God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit who reveals Himself in the Word of God. We saw it in an eternal covenant. We saw it in the Church of Christ, this firmness. And now the path along which we walk, it also has this firmness. Proverbs 10:19, The way or the path of the Lord is a rock. For who? For the blameless. But destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. The way of the Lord is the highway or direction to a specific goal placed before us by God. Psalms chapter 18 verses 4 through 5 The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. The path of the Lord is a route that runs through deep swampy swamps of despair which are dangerous to life in a subject of dry religious dogmatism. So our path is going to over is over is going to run through these swampy swamps of despair and religious dogmatism, and we must endure it. 
and with deep rivers that have a fast current and deadly cycles of raging false charisma. As it is written in David, Psalms 69.2, I sink in deep mire, in a religious mire, and there is no, no standing there. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. You pay attention here. Two components. Uh, each person will come across these, but David had overcome them. These two things, the swamps, the mire, and these deep waters, rushing waters, rivers, these are two things that were present always. During the times of Christ, these were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Today, this could be dead religions and also false charisma that expresses itself in these deep rushing rivers and deadly cycles. It dwelled there during the time of Christ and it is even present today. The phrase, the way of the Lord is a rock for the blameless, indicates the fact that the way of the Lord is the standard of measure and weight which reveals itself in the sound of the trumpet which affirms a person who knows and hears the sound of the trumpet in blamelessness before God. Jeremiah 6, 16-19 Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet, but they said, We will not listen. Therefore hear you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. And so the ways of the Lord are comprised of two main components. This is the goal set before us by God and the direction gifted to us by God in the sound of the trumpet who are presented by the messengers of God clothed in the fatherhood of God. So we were talking about characteristics. He said, Lord, the way of the Lord is firmness. The way of the Lord is firmness. This is, we are again, we are defining firmness. And how is it defined? We are going to have a specific set goal and we are going to head to, go towards this goal th- toward, through the sound of the trumpet. And both of these are important components. Sometimes people hear the goal, they say, oh, this is a very interesting promise. I hear about this promise in this church. Oh, how interesting. But they don't hear the sound of the trumpet. Why? Because they have their own trumpet in the format of their own intellect. And this trumpet will not bring them to the knowledge of this goal, to that goal which we hear it can be reached only through knowledge and understanding of the sound of the trumpet. Psalms 89, 16-18 Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. These two components in the dignity of goals established for us by God and the direction towards these goals yielded in the sound of the trumpet are called to measure and weigh us 
on the scales of justice, our quality of firmness. And so the way of the Lord is firm under the condition that we know the goal and we head towards this goal through knowledge of the sound of the trumpet, or rather to know the voice of our pastor. This was the sixth component. Again, we today are talking about firmness, its definition, where in Scripture can we see the firmness of the name of God Most High, so that this firmness through proclamation can be placed in our bodies. Seven, the dignity of firmness is given to a person who has wisdom from above. As it is written, Isaiah 26, 3, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Now, the Lord looks at our spirit as firmness, in which he reveals his quality. Firmness, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Firmness of the spirit is gained where? When a person is obedient to the commandments of God, that are called to sanctify him by separating him from his nation, the house of his father, and the corrupt desires of his soul. The firmness of the Spirit is the supernatural ability in man to measure and weigh himself, not another, but himself on the scales of justice. So the firmness of the Spirit, I show obedience to the commandments of God, and with these commandments of God I measure myself and those next to me, if I care responsibility over them even if I do carry responsibility over them, uh, this person in the church, then scripture says, you first cast out the speck in your eye, and then you will understand how to cast out the small speck in your brother's eye. Same thing here. We must be obedient to the word of God, the commandments of God, and we must measure, our skills, measure ourselves and those whom we have responsibility over. And to, how would I ask of myself? I would ask of those whom I carry responsibility over. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. The ability of the Son of God in the flesh to not judge by the sight of his eyes, or decide by the hearing of his ears, was a result of the firmness of his spirit that comes from the strength of his heavenly Father, through which he could free from slavery those who are held by the authority of sin and death. John chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 36 to 38. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. So, if we look here, here we see that we must have firmness of our spirit, and the firmness of the spirit is filled with the fear of the Lord. So Christ did not judge by the sight of his eyes. We see how he turns to the children of Abraham, and he says, I know, I know that you are the seed of Abraham, but you are seeking to kill me. And he says, because you do not know my father, I, I do what my father does, but you 
do what your father has done and your father is the devil you are the children of Abraham though pay attention take a look at how firm of a spirit Christ had and he represented the firmness of God the Father and it was impossible to soften it people say well you don't have the heart of a father do you have the mind of Christ well can you ask can you have the mind of Christ if in the heart there is no heart of the father well it's impossible to make you soft you judge everything through the mind of Christ well the mind of Christ is when Christ had showed it he had shown the heart of the father and when you ask a person what is the heart of the father to you well, this is when you can easily manipulate someone he says well I've not seen this in our pastor I've not seen this kind of heart in him I have seen the mind of Christ in our pastor who was in an illumination of that wisdom that was found in his heart that is found in his heart therefore our heart can be defined the state of a heart can be defined by that which is in our thinking and so we've defined firmness we must also have the seventh component the seventh one in firmness in our spirit and this was the first question to give a definition the second question what purpose in our prayers is the property of firmness called to fulfill which is clothed in the powers of the rock of the name of God most high we have gone from the first classic question we've gone to the second one the purpose why do we need to have this kind of firmness and let us take a look at the purpose the first purpose of the firmness of God that abides in our heart is called to ground us in God's love in order to bring us to the fulfillment of the will of God Ephesians chapter 3 verses 18 through 19 that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able here's its purpose that you can comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God first according to the testimony from scripture the fullness of God is defined by his self-sufficiency expressed in his firm and unchanging moral perfections So this affirmation of oneself in love allows us to be filled with all the fullness of God. And where does the fullness of God express itself? In His unchanging moral characteristics. And second, the fullness of God is defined by His absolute sovereign authority, which He placed in His spoken word, which He affirmed, placed, and magnified in His holy temple above all His name. Here we see the fullness expressed in his characteristics and in his word, how much he shows obedience to his word, which he magnified in his temple above all his name. This is to be filled with all the fullness of God. Therefore, why do we need to be affirmed in love so that we can be filled with the fullness of God? And how can we define if we are filled with the fullness of God? This is defined by our relationship toward the Word of God. Because it is impossible to be filled with the fullness of God if the Word of God is not found on a high pedestal. Psalms 138.2 I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word 
above all your name. Here the Lord has shown the purpose of his firmness. He has magnified his word above all his name. The fullness of God in the body of a person is defined by his organized partaking to the body of Christ, which in the face of God's chosen remnant is the holy temple of God, in which he magnified his word above all his name. The firmness of this representation is expressed in the fact that a person who is filled with the fullness of the will of God first is able to govern and rule over himself over those spheres for which he carries a responsibility before God and the unearthly limits of the commandments and statutes of the Lord thanks to the firmness of God that abides in his heart. So first it is necessary to govern and to rule over oneself and over those spheres for which we carry responsibility. Second, this is to control circumstances in which he, thanks to the firmness of God that abides in his heart, becomes greater than these circumstances. And so, to control oneself, second, to control circumstances that place us higher than these circumstances. Third, person is able to carry responsibility for the political and authoritative structures of this world and at the same time not depend on them thanks to the firmness of God that abides in him. Here it is necessary to pray for kings. For what? People say, why do I need to pray so that it is good for the king? Scripture says, tells us not to pray. Uh, people say, why do I need to pray for my president? People say we should pray for him so that it is well for us and not for him, for it to be well with him. He is an instrument in the hands of God, and Scripture says, pray for kings. And one pastor has said numerously that if we were to look at the king that was during the times of Apostle Paul, we would be in shock and say, Apostle Paul, these were kings that were difficult, and he said, pray for them so that it may be well to the church. And people don't understand. They just hear, I will pray for kings. And they, and they say, I will not pray for kings. Pray so that it is well for the church. It is good for the church. And fourth, this person is able to have the authority to control the organized powers of darkness in the face of his old man on earth, in the dimension of time, and in the boundaries of his responsibility, thanks to the firmness of God that abides in his heart. The legitimacy of every name of God in the life of a person is checked by his dissolution and all other names of God. Proverbs 3, 6, And all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. The second purpose of the firmness of God that abides in our heart is called to endow with its properties our fortress in God. Psalm 71, 3, Be my fortress, my strong fortress, to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my strength. The Lord says, Lord, be a firm, strong fortress. Considering that our portion contained in the firmness of God is our ability to weigh and measure our trust in God to exclude any possibility of relying on our flesh, then the fortress that we cannot measure or weigh how much it meets the requirements of a covenant with God because this fortress and refuge of the flesh 
is a refuge for, of seducing lies. So it is impossible to measure lies on the scales of justice. And God, as our rock, fortress, He can be weighed on scales. Let's look, Isaiah 28, 17-18. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. The phrase, your covenant with dead will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand, should be viewed as a union with our old man who carries the destructive program of sin. An agreement with Sheol should be viewed as an agreement with the corrupt and seducing lusts of our soul, which we refuse to lose in the death of the Lord Jesus. And the hail that will sweep away the refuge of lies is the faith of God on the lips of those people who are clothed in the firmness of God. That's why this dwelling place of lies, it must be through the hail of the proclamation of our lips, be in our essence abolished, that God can become our firm fortress. Third, again, we are talking about what is the purpose of the firmness of God? Why do we need it? The third purpose of the firmness of God that abides in our heart is called to discover, discover itself in our ability to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ made us free and to not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What does it mean to stand in the liberty of Christ? Or what does it mean to have the liberty of Christ? This is when a person is not entangled with a yoke of bondage. This is the liberty of Christ. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It is specifically the untrue and distorted comprehension of the word liberty that is interpreted by the ignorant as liberty from complexes in their worship to God. It's an insulting and disgusting service that turned the house of prayer into the den of thieves. People say, you must be free from complexes. But here, the liberty of Christ is to not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What kind of complexes are you talking about? A person who accepts this kind of worship is not actually freed from complexes, but from the moral principles that determine his dignity before God. A person loses his face before God, his moral principles, when he thinks about liberty from complexes. This is unrest in the church. For God, this sounds like this. He is unrestful. Our liberty is to not be under the yoke of bondage. This is the liberty of Christ that Apostle writes here. The essence of the liberty of Christ is a demonstration of the firmness of the name of God Most High, which is comprised in the fact that a person who stands in the liberty of Christ and in whose heart the liberty of Christ abides is free from sin and is impenetrable to sin. 
and not freed from complexes. A person who is freed from sin and impenetrable to sin. John 8, 31-32, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. From what? From complexes? No. From the yoke of bondage. The liberty of Christ is a kind of discipline which in worship to God yields the atmosphere of holy splendor and causes the union of the fear of the Lord and joyful reverence in the heart of a warrior prayer, which discovers itself in trembling before the word of truth in psalms and spiritual songs as well as sermons. Take a look at how beautifully the liberty of Christ is written about. And this kind of liberty of Christ you may not even find in the Baptist or the Pentecost, let alone the Charismatics, or nor in other de- denominations. This is more precious than gold. Let us read it again. The liberty of Christ is a kind of discipline which, in worship to God, yields the atmosphere of holy splendor and causes the union of the fear of the Lord and joyful reverence in the heart of a warrior prayer, which discovers itself in trembling before the word of truth and psalms and spiritual songs, as well as sermons. This word is worthy of amen, and we are going to pray right now and thank God for the word that we heard in our next service. We will specifically uh, look at what the liberty of Christ is in its seven components, and then we will move forward in affirming our covenant with God. May you be blessed. Let us pray and thank God for the word that we have heard. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for the great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that today we are able, with a firm spirit, to proclaim that in this place there dwells a remembrance of your holy name, that the Lord is rock. You today dwell here. You, Heavenly Father, dwell here, revealing to us, Lord, that truth and that revelation and revealing yourself through those commandments that we have a right to hear and that we are immersed in today. We thank you that today you are able to gain us as you had gained David, your servant, and you have found us. And we decide to place our me- the members of our body not into servants of sin, but servants of righteousness. We thank you for the firmness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that today the faith of God dwells in our heart and that you have given us the right to have this faith of God and your divine order. We thank you that today you reveal to us your truth and you place us You place these great promises in heavens which are kept for us. This is the only place where today 
The promise can be kept. This is in heaven. This promise that is found in your hands and that is ready to be revealed during these end days through faith that calls us to salvation. We thank you for the firmness of the Holy Spirit that is revealed and uncovered in in the Word and the powers of this Word that He reveals to us today. We thank you, Lord, that today you have revealed your firmness in your firm, unchanging, eternal covenant. And we ask you to continue to affirm us in this covenant in baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. And we want you to place your seal upon us, holy unto the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that today we can be found in this place, in your church that is the pillar of truth. And you have allowed us to be an organized partaker to this body, which has your firmness. We thank you for your firmness that today is found in our spirit and that you have placed us in your firm paths. You have delivered us from mire, swamps of religious, of religiousness. You have delivered us from these deep rushing waters and these deadly cycles. You have allowed us to have firmness in our spirit and to walk along the firm way toward that goal which you have expressed to the goal that is the adoption of our body and the redemption of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that seeing this goal, we are able to hear, understand, and know the sound of the trumpet. We thank you that you have said, blessed are the people who know the sound of the trumpet, and we know, Lord, the sound of the trumpet, and we are found in this light, in this new place, so that we can thank you for that word that we have received from the person who is your trumpet, from the person whom you have prepared from his young age, whom you have prepared in order to represent your divine authority here on earth and to show the true fatherhood of God in the mind of Christ. We thank you for that truth that we have accepted from our Apostle Brother Arkady. And we ask you, Lord, for this Holy One, this person, we pray for our Father, for our Apostle, for you to be able to show your glory for you to be able to show your sign in his body as well in the bodies of those saints who have entered through the narrow gates and have began to have the dignity of a virtuous wife of God's chosen remnant so that you can show the sign in their bodies and so that all of your enemies which are our enemies could be destroyed before your holy countenance. We ask you, Lord, for death and hell to be ashamed before your holy face and to be destroyed. And this was a desire that was found in your depths. And we today, our Heavenly Father, the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, are found in this holy place. We proclaim, we proclaim your will that was found in your depths in which you have revealed us through the preached word which we have accepted and which has been affirmed in our spirit, in our soul, 
in our thinking and in our proclamation. We ask you, Lord, may your sign be revealed and may you affirm the resurrection of Christ and the power of life in the bodies of saints. Death and the enemy know that they have very little time until the revelation of the week, the week of your prophet. And they are trying to hold back the body and not give it up. But we, Lord, ask you for you to continue to shake the earth and for this shaking with a great trembling and earthquake can shake also heaven. And so that, Lord, our heaven, that our heaven could overthrow those stars that are found under heaven from their place and so that these heavens could be turned into a scroll and that the old man can receive a divorce letter through what? Through which we could, on the foundation of your word, having the anointing of a king, priest, and prophet, to proclaim the power of life and the sign of the resurrection of Christ in our body and with a noise to cast out the lawless one that has no longer has a legal right to the bodies of saints and to proclaim the affirmation of your covenant in this week. We ask you, Lord, that today that great earthquake with which you shake the bodies of saints, that they can shake the heavens. May today be freed the each holy person that is found on this place, their heavens from these stars. And may with a noise the power of death be cast out, and may the power of resurrection reign in our bodies. Thank you, Lord. We thank you and we tremble before that word. We thank you for our saints and we pray, Lord, we pray for those saints that today are not with us. We pray, Lord, our dear ones, our dear brother Arkady and sister Tamara. We continue to wait for them. We believe, Lord, that showing obedience before your will, that you want to do something and you are doing something for the church affirming not just a covenant with your apostles, prophets, but also affirming it with us, with your servants, with your disciples. Allow us, Lord, the revelation of this week, allow us to go through this, the years of trial, where through this great earthquake will be overthrown all kinds of yoke bondage, all kinds of decay and all that is decaying and let death be swallowed up by victory by the victory of christ we thank you father in the name of your son jesus christ and we thank you for the power of the holy spirit who shows the victory of christ in our spirit in our soul and in our body we lord pray and ask for our upcoming services on sunday and we ask you to continue to look into that word which you have given to us, your anointed one, through your messenger. Allow us to 
understand this word and make it achievable by our heart, soul, or thinking, and the achievement of our body. And may your holy name be blessed, the name our God, the name of our God, Rock, on this place in which you have revealed your firmness, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.